Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So let me just go ahead and ask you to turn to Haggai chapter 1. As you know that we're going to start a whole new series uh, this time around. And uh, we're excited for this series because I believe that it's just the right time for this message that God has for us as we're talking about this idea of restore. And I'll share a little bit more about that uh, as I get into the message. But I wanted to have us first turn to Haggai. Once again, uh, the notes are available. You can kind of follow along. And I wanted to start off by asking a question. And the question is simply this. I'm wondering how many of you have ever started something but yet could not finish or you have not finished yet. I'm wondering how many of you are in that situation. I know for myself, that's something that I face all the time. I'm really good at starting something, but really trying to finish something, it's a little bit more difficult. And so think about it in this way. Some of you, right now, you think about a book that you wanted to read, and you started off in chapter 1, and you're still stuck in chapter 1 after months later. So we see that where we start something, but yet we don't finish the very thing that we wanted to start. Uh, Another thing, I'm I'm wondering how many of you have various Netflix shows on your docket. You've been watching different series, but you're not able to finish it because you're not focused because you have five that you're trying to follow along. And so it's difficult to finish all of them. And by the way, if you finish all five, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, Hopefully you can also study, work, and meet with people. But anyway, many of us have started just different shows, but we're not able to finish. How about some of the personal projects that you have? Things that you wanted to do, things that you wanted to grow in. And so once again, you started off well, but you're not finished or you're not taking steps towards completion. One that I think many of us can probably testify and we're going to be honest here and share, which is New Year's goals. Come on now, right? Some of us believed in that statistic that says after three weeks, we're done with it. That was back in January. We are in February, heading into March. And I will have to say that one of the goals that I want to do is to run a marathon. And I will not tell you how many times I have uh, been running uh, ever since I started. So let's just end it there. And uh, this message is more for me. And I want to finish so that I could be training and getting ready for the marathon. And the reason why some of us never finish, I think there are many reasons. I think for some of us, it's because we're perfectionists. So we get started, and it's not perfect the way we want it to, so therefore we just give up, or we delay it. We procrastinate on it, so that's why we're not able to finish it. For some of us, us, it's because we we want to be in control, and because circumstances are not given in that way, we're not able to finish the situation. I think for some of us, it's just various factors that are involved and sometimes we get distracted sometimes it's really easy to forget our purpose and why we do what we do and so these are things that we have to think about as we think about this idea of starting well but sometimes we have a hard time finishing well and so I wanted to show you this video and uh, those of you who might not know There are so much out there, and especially whether it's on YouTube or on the Internet, but some of these places are famous places, but there are a lot of places around the world that 
They started building something, but then they weren't able to finish. And this one place, it's really interesting because it's in Barcelona. It's La Sagrada Familia. And so it is a cathedral that back in the late 1900 or 19th century, so it's like the late 1800s, uh, they decided to build this cathedral. And so what has happened, it's about 140 years almost that has passed, but they still have not finished this cathedral, but this is the part that's amazing. There are still millions of people that visit every single year. Well, not this past year because of COVID, COVID, but there are people, millions of people who visit on a regular basis. So I think this is the part that you, ha you have to think about. It. Here's a, a building, a cathedral that's not finished yet, but they're building upon it, and they're making this, and I think it's an uh, incredible uh, piece of work of art and it'll explain a little bit so i'm going to show you this video really quickly and uh let's as we watch it just to give you a little history behind it so let's watch this together here's a picture uh just some of the things that you're able to see here uh the amazing part is that th this the architect of this they wanted to build this building or cathedral once again that actually tells the whole story about the bible uh, amazing. If you look at some of the details of this um, cathedral, you realize it's going to take a long time. So the vision was there, but the ability to actually finish it, whether it's because of the money, whether it's because of the people, the resources, whatever it might have been, it prevented them from completely finishing. But this is something that they're committed to, not only because they realize two million visitors are coming every single year, but they want to finish it as a historical landmark for Spain in Barcelona. Now, as you're thinking about this, uh, why are we starting off with this sermon series called Restore? And I want to make sure that we clarify, because if you remember from this conference, Pastor John talked about we are not to restore or go back to the new normal. What is the normal? We talked about that. And so as I was kind of listening to his message and I realized that uh, we need to define this word restore so that all of us are on the same page so let me just start off and talk about a restore what does that mean so it's this is the definition the Cambridge dictionary definition defines the word restore as this to return something or someone to an earlier good condition or position the second part of it is a quality or ability that someone has um, has not had for a long time, you make it possible for them to have that quality or ability again. And the third and last one is to bring back into use something that has been absent for a period of time. So what we notice just from this definition is that we're not going back to the glory days or things that we're like, oh, we wish, but it's really going back to what God has purposed and designed for us. So not only you individually and purposefully as God has created you to do and to live out, but also for us as a church to be able to restore, to go back into that position so that we will continue to do what he has called us to do. Now, of course, please don't misunderstand me. Like there are times when God can redirect us. And this is where we have to be listening and being in this intimate relationship with him so that when we hear his voice, he might be leading us in a different direction. So these are things that we are listening for. 
watching out for. But he has given us the vision thus far, and he hasn't spoken otherwise. This is what we're called to do as a church. And that's why as Pastor Bo and I and the executive team, as we were talking, we really felt that going over this book in the Bible, the book of Haggai, will be appropriate to address this, especially as we're hopefully coming out of this pandemic. As you know, that they're trying to vaccinate uh, many people here and around the world, and it's going to allow us to open up to travel and do other things. And so we're hoping that the things that God has placed in our hearts as we're listening and trying to follow him, that we'll continue to do those things that he has given to us. Now, if he gives us new things, then we say yes to him, and we're going to be able to move forward. And so as we study the book of Haggai, uh, those of you who might not know, many times when we do our sermon series, uh, we do either a book in the Bible or we do a topical sermon, which means it's by topics, and we use various scriptural passages to kind of highlight and talk about some of those topics. Now, this is just an honest confession from a lot of pastors. I don't know about Pastor Bo, but for me, I really don't like topical sermons. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you heard that, but that was Pastor Bo uh, shouting out amen. But the reason why topical sermons are hard is because sometimes there's always those few verses that we're always using. But then when you go over a Bible, you don't have to think about, what am I going to preach next? It's right there. Go to the next chapter or the next paragraph. So it saves us a lot of time. And, but not only that, but I think the reason why I love preaching through a book in the Bible is because it is our heart's desire. And I'm speaking to you as your pastor. It is our heart's desire, Pastor Bowen and my desire, is that you will know the Bible. And if you are with us for at least some extended period of time, at least it's a promise to you that we will preach the word of God unapologetically uh, without shying away from some of those hard passages because this is the whole counsel of God. It sometimes it goes right in the face of the culture, but yet we have to be able to speak into culture, speak life into culture. And so we're hoping, as so far we've covered several books in the New Testament, we covered several books in the Old Testament uh, in the last five years, and we're hoping that in the years to come, we can continue to cover all the different books uh, in the Bible, and you will be more Bible literate. So let me just go ahead and give us the one thing as we're talking about this idea of restoring. And God speaks to the Jewish people, and I think there's some principles and application for even us as we think about what God has called us to do here in Hong Kong, and to go back and to restore some of those things and the position and the places in which God is calling us to be faithful to. So the one thing is simply this, that we must seek the heart of God in order to do our part for God. Let me say it again, that we must seek the heart of God in order to do our part for God. So once again, as we do, as we have done, I guess, for the last some months, we, we're trying to provide these huddle group times. So instead of just watching a screen and just hearing me or hearing Pastor Bo, uh, we want you to be able to process and interact. Now, I don't know what's going to look like when we all are able to come back. We might still incorporate some huddle time. We might. Who knows? Uh, but I'm just thinking through that it's good to just be able to take a little break and to share together because what we want to see happen is you allow the Word of God to kind of just marinate in your heart and in your mind and to allow it to come forth as you begin to share. Because the more senses you use, not just the auditory or visual, but even as you begin to um, 
just even write some things down. And as you process through things, you're going to be able to grow and learn that much more. So I'm going to give you a six minutes in this huddle group time. Just go ahead and uh, the leaders know to break you off into different groups within your life group. And there are two questions that I want us to talk about. The first question is this. What is one thing that you started but have yet to finish? Now, uh, be honest, share. I already shared with you mine. And now I know I'm going to get a lot of texts this coming week. Did you run? Did you run? So it's good for me. The second thing is this. The second question, well, okay, we can see it up here. The second question, why do you think people are unable to finish what they started or whatever they start? Why is it so difficult for them to finish? So maybe you could just think about yourself or other people that you know and just kind of share why it's so hard to finish. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to just share and what a great opportunity to keep each other accountable this week. Amen. So whatever they shared, uh, try to encourage them. Don't judge them, but encourage them. Maybe even run with them. That will really encourage them, right? So that's something to keep in mind. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble today. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble this coming week. But anyway, I wanted to go ahead and just give a little bit of a background on the book of Haggai. Because a lot of times when we read different books in the Bible, because we don't know the background of it, it just seems like we're just reading this book that it makes no sense, and that's why it's difficult to get something out of the soap. But if the more you can understand the background of the book, you realize, oh, that's why God is saying that, or that's why the people are responding this way. So I wanted to give out just a brief background. It's not going to be exhaustive, but just the major points of the background so that you understand what's happening to uh, the people and also during the time of Haggai, why he had to give the message and the prophetic word that he did. So as we're talking about seeking uh, the heart of God, as we're trying to seek the heart of God, then we're talking about then what is the part that we're supposed to do so that we can be serving God in that way. So let me just go ahead and give some background points here. Uh, the book of Haggai is considered a minor prophet or minor prophetic book. And those of you who might not know, there are, there's major prophetic books and minor prophetic books. So the major prophetic books are like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Some of the longer books are called the major prophetic books. The minor prophetic books are more of the shorter ones that are sometimes I only have two chapters or three chapters. And they speak certain messages. So that's just something for you to know that this is a minor prophetic book. And this book was actually written during the post-exilic time. Now, that word simply means, if you remember, the Jewish people were exiled out of their land because of their disobedience to God. So they call it post-exilic. So after the exile, here are these communities who some of them actually ended up coming back into the land that God has promised unto them. And so thing that you have to keep in mind throughout this whole book is this idea of the temple of God, or if you wanted the house of God, you'll see that phrase at different portions of the scripture. Now, the temple of God was actually destroyed when the Babylonians came in and destroyed everything in Jerusalem, and they took some of these people as prisoners and brought them back to Babylon. That's where you get Daniel and his friends and some of those other stories. It was during that time. And what happened was that when they took some of the people back into Babylon, they ended up destroying the temple, the house of the Lord. Now, the question is this. Why is this important to the Jewish people? Because it was at the temple of God where they actually offered their sacrifices. So 
as you know, sacrifices is equated to worship unto God. So because there was no temple to offer their sacrifices, a lot of their worships, it was different from what they were used to. And this is the reason why there's so much emphasis on this idea of rebuilding this temple. Why? Because it is in this temple that they can go back and worship God. Now, as many of you know, something should be triggering in your mind. That's why because of Jesus Christ, we do not need to go to a church building to worship God. We could do it anywhere. We could do it on the MTR. We could do it on the ding ding. We could do it as we're walking. We, we could even do it in the bathroom. We could do it anywhere. God is everywhere. So we can worship God in that way. But for the Jewish people, it was in the temple of God where they had to offer up the sacrifices where they had to kill the animal, let the blood spill, and to atone for their sins. Now, if you think about this, you're realizing that, okay, the temple is ruined. They're not able to offer these sacrifices anymore because it's no longer in the temple. And as they were in Babylon, as you know, they assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And this is where even God speaks to Daniel of being able to be different. That's why he prayed in his room facing Jerusalem. Now, the interesting part is that the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians. And as they defeated the Babylonians, King Cyrus came in, and he was a nice king, and he released the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem. If you wanted to go back, you can go back. Now, can you imagine you've been exiled for so many years, and now finally you're able to go back to Jerusalem. So one of the first things that the Jewish community did was they rebuilt an altar. Now, albeit that it was a, a temporary altar but they realize of how much they have longed to worship God to make sacrifices to God so they made this kind of makeshift altar and that's where they gathered to worship but this was a problem they did not rebuild the temple they did not rebuild the house of the Lord they just made an altar to do the sacrifices but they did not finish making the house of the Lord that was defeated now, something else just for you to kind of keep in mind, especially as we're doing soap. Uh, in the future, you're going to be reading Ezra, uh, Zechariah, some of these books. And just to let you know that what happens in the book of Ezra, what happens even in the book of Zechariah, it is a contemporary of Haggai. So they'll give you insights of what's happening in the book of Haggai. So those three books sometimes are related because it's telling events that are happening. So just for future ref reference, because as they're talking about history and time, You'll see book of Ezra, book of Zechariah, and book of Haggai are talking about the same thing. Now, as they came and reinstated the altar, it was in the second year where they began to lay down the foundation of building the house of the Lord. The interesting part is it, didn't, it took them 15 to 16 years to finally finish building the house of the Lord. So I want you to think about this for a moment. You're released as slaves. You come back to the land, and then you make this altar, maybe not as good as the one that we saw in the temple before 70-some years, but they make a makeshift temp, uh, altar, and then on the second year, they start laying down the foundation of building the temple of the Lord or rebuilding it, but it took them 15 to almost 16 years to actually complete it. 
thing about this is that God knew that worship was so important. Because all throughout history, these Israelite people, they were worshiping all these other gods. So he wanted them to build this temple so that in this altar they could worship God. And this is the reason why God raised up Haggai, the prophet Haggai, to encourage the people, finish the building of this temple. Build my house. And that's pretty much, if you look at this book, this short couple chapters, you will notice that's pretty much the message. There's like four messages in there that God speaks to the people of Israel through the prophet Haggai about rebuilding the temple and the house of the Lord because he, what he wants from us is our whole heart and our worship so that we can live out the destiny that God has for us. So let me quickly jump into this. There are two things I'm going to highlight for us as we're talking about seeking the heart of God in order to do our part for God because we cannot do our part for God until we start seeking God first. As we always talk about it, a lot of times it comes back to our heart issue. I'm so thankful that even at the conference, Pastor John was reminding us, uh, because so often many of us are doers. It's so easy to start doing things when we don't have the heart. We don't have the right heart. And this is the reason why I believe that God is trying to speak to us so that we can get the right heart. So as the pandemic will be passing, some of you will start getting jobs. Some of you will start doing other things, maybe travel. And the thing is, there's going to be a uh, just a whole array of options and choices. And the question is, where is your heart? And as we can align our hearts with God, then whatever it is that he's calling us to do, that by his strength and by his grace, we're going to be able to accomplish it. Not because we're good, not because we're able, but God is good and that God is able. Can I get a good amen to that? And because of that, we believe by faith that he's going to restore some of those things that he has called us to do. Now, once again, it might look different. He might redirect us. But until he speaks, we know that this is what God has called us to do. And so let me talk about these two things. The first point is this, that we must, we have to check our hearts. We have to check our hearts. Let me just go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. And I just broke it up in that way, 1 through 4, and then we're going to go ahead and read 5 through 11. But it's interesting because as we're reading this story and what's happening, the message, you will notice that God is making it very clear to Haggai what it is that he wants him to do. So let me go ahead and read once again Haggai chapter 1. Hopefully you've all turned to it. I'm going to read verses 1 all the way through verse two, uh, 4. And then we'll draw some principles here. This is what the Word of God says. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? 
Let's pause here and look at this together. We see that God specifically speaks to Haggai and gives this prophetic word to the people. Now, this is the part you need to understand. He doesn't speak to all the people. What you notice in these first several verses that is that he specifically speaks to these two people, and they are leaders. Zerubbabel was one who led the people back to Judah. So he was a leader of the people during that time. So he was one who led the people back. And you see the name Joshua. And this Joshua was a priest who was not just an ordinary priest. He was a high priest. So he was pretty much the senior, the ranking religious leader at that time. So here's God giving a message to Haggai. And the message is specifically spoken to Zerubbabel as well as to Joshua. Now, as I share this oftentimes to leaders, it is always important in any organization, those of you who are working for a company, it could be a nonprofit, it could just be anywhere, in any organization, any kind of structure, that oftentimes it is the leaders that determines where that organization will go. This is why even some of you who are interviewing, you got to look at the structure and the leaders and read some of their tweets, read some of the things that they value. You understand the heart behind that organization when you understand the leader's heart. This is why we use that um, model all the time or I guess the adage where it says everything rises and falls with leadership. And the thing is that during difficult times and harsh times or even times that are very trying, it always seems as if God first deals with the leaders. This is the reason why in the Bible it says that not many of you should be considered as leaders or teachers because you will be judged more harshly. And so this is a holy calling that God has given to not only Zerubbabel but also to Joshua to be able to lead God's people. And so Haggai speaks to them first and through this message it was going to be communicated to the rest of the people now in verse 2 it says these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the lord see god wanted them to rebuild the temple like now not later not when they think is a good time not when it's most convenient for them but god is wanting to rebuild the temple why is this important because, once again, the temple or the house of the Lord is where they can come to worship. God wants our hearts. He wants us to worship Him. And that's, this is the reason why He is saying, I want them to worship me now, but they say what? This is not the right time. But when you think about this idea of rebuilding the temple, it's important because God knew this is where they can get their hearts aligned with God. But the people didn't feel like it. The timing of it wasn't right. The circumstances in which God was asking of this was not good for them. And in some ways, you could look at this and say, that's true. Because during this time, as they came back, everything was still in rubble. So that's why they didn't have enough resources. This is the reason why that it was very difficult to try to rebuild when there aren't any resources. They also faced opposition from the north, and there were people, neighbors that they were around that did, did not want this temple to be built. 
And so what you will begin to notice is that it is so easy to find reasons why we should not do something. Just listen to me carefully. It is always easy to find reasons why not to do something. And if I think about it and I think about my own life, we are literally masters of justification. Will you turn to somebody next to you and say, you are a master of justification. All right, you can type it up in your chat. You can call people out. We are masters. You can, you can offer a master class in justification. And the real heart of the matter is that we really don't care about the things of God. See, listen to me carefully. Many of us, the reason why we justify things, the reason why we use Christian language, try to explain things, is because we don't want to confront the things that are in our hearts. Because if we are honest, they're wicked things. They're selfish things. They're self-centered things. That's why Jeremiah, as many of you know, we, we quote this a lot, and we want to remember this. In 17, chapter 70, verse 9, the New Living Translate, it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And listen to what it says. Say this with me. Desperately what? Wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Look how the message translation translates this verse. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. How many of you guys love puzzles? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? We're not talking about those five-piece puzzles. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, that's pretty. We're talking about the 10,000 pieces. We're talking about those big ones and not the ones that are like really contrasted well, but we're talking about when they're all great. And you, you have to really look at the pieces. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is like hard. Like, that's our hearts. We're not simple. And simple doesn't mean like stupid or don't know much, but just the pure of heart. We're just five pieces. Okay, Jesus, you know, family, you know. It's, it's, it's that simple. Some of you are operating on a million-piece puzzle. That's why it's dark. Because we're trying to justify ourselves, reason things, things out. We make things complicated. Listen to what the Amplified Version says. And I think this is really gives us insight to that word, desperately wicked. Because it may be like, oh, I suck. But listen to how they translate, which I think is a good translation. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. And say this, it is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? It's sick. It doesn't function well. It's not at its 100%. You know how that feels. You've been in that situation where you're sick and you just got a headache and just your whole, just your whole body is just, there's that word, but you have these things that your body just feels like, oh, you can't really move. You, you know that feeling. That's our hearts. These secret motives that we know, or sometimes we don't even know, that dictates the decisions we make and the things that we do. That's why here is Haggai telling the people, as God is speaking through him, you got to check your heart. As I was thinking about this, huh, we don't have to go very far. Like, I could just sit there and think about all my relationship with some of us in our church. I could think about just myself, just look in the mirror. I realized, man, we are truly the masters of excuses and justification. Let me give you some examples. 
You know, I always see people saying, uh, Pastor, um, I think it's very unwise for us to gather together in our church gatherings because uh, there's a pandemic and you just don't care about us. You don't care about people. Um, you don't want to follow the regulations. And I'm just sitting there I'm like, whoa, I mean, if that was you, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying in general, okay, in general. And so it's kind of like... Uh, Pastor, you're not following this, and you don't really love us. You're not thinking about it. You're just being all this stuff, stuff. And so I'm trying to explain as best as I can. And next thing I know, there's about 20 people going glamping. And I'm like, wow, amazing, amazing that gathering with about 10 people you have a problem with. But now we're going glamping, and there's about 20 people close. And it's okay. <laughs> this is what I want to be like, can I meet with you? You know, I've been very concerned. I don't think you really love people. You want to destroy a whole class. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what to say. I'm just getting started. Do you see the wickedness of our hearts? We could justify anything. Maybe you just don't want to gather together for church because it's always more comfortable in your pajamas or your pajamas. People can sit through four hours of a Netflix show but can't give two hours of their time for life group. Whoa, it is too long. Oh, my goodness. Don't you wish there were those cameras? God does. He really like, I'm just watching the show. Four hours, six hours. But you can't even give two hours to invest in people's lives. Do you see how terribly sick we are in our hearts? And this ain't no urban lingo. I don't mean sick by, oh, that's cool, sick. I'm talking about it is messed up, it is unhealthy, kind of sick. I'm just getting started. Like I said, sometimes when you just sit there and reflect, when there's mountains in front of you, you can think of a lot of stuff. You hear about people complaining about how busy their life is and with church and this meeting. But we don't have that much of a problem when it comes to our careers if it's going to help us to excel or if it's going to help us to get an A. The point that I'm trying to make with some of these examples that some of you can possibly relate to is that everything is about us. This is why our hearts are terribly sick. Our secret motives, the things that we do, because it is easy when you don't want to do something to excuse it, to justify it, to give some good reasons for it but you don't see the inconsistency in your life of some of those things, why you don't want to do some of those things. This is the reason why I've been telling people, I, rather, I have more respect for people who can be honest and look at me and say, Pastor, I just don't love God. I just don't like life group. I just don't want to grow spiritually. Then I'll be like, oh, that makes sense. That's why you don't want to go to life group. That's why. It's just being honest. It's just being direct. But some of us, well, pastor, you know, I really do love God. But, you know, there's some stuff going on right now. And 
and I'm trying to decipher and come at you from all different angles, and I just realized there's the, it's a heart issue. This is the reason why in verse 4, look at verse 4 again, we notice that God rebukes the people, and this is where it's a clincher. He asks them this question, which I think is like a knife right into the heart. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, while this house, referring to his house, the house of the Lord, lies in ruins? What God is simply doing is he's taking their excuses. I don't think it's the right time. I don't think we have enough resources. He's taking their excuses and putting it right in front of them and saying, oh, but you have the time to build your own house. It seems like you have enough resources to then build your own house and not just build a whatever is necessary type of house, the necessities, but a house that is paneled. Now, some of you are like, well, don't we need panels in houses? Well, maybe this will help us because paneled houses was a sign of luxury back then. That's why, listen to some of these other translations. The New Living Translation says this. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruin? So you don't need panels for your house. It's, those are just the extra. So here they are saying it's not the right time. We don't have the right resources. We don't have all this stuff. But everything in their life shows that they do have the time. They do have the resources. What he's trying to expose is their hearts. You're making all these excuses, but you don't have an excuse. The real reason is you don't love God. You don't care about the things of God. But you surely care about things of yourself and things related to yourself. That's what Haggai is saying. Wow, that, that's like a, a dagger into the heart of people when they were making excuses. Listen to what the voice translation says. Do you think the time is right for you to live in secure and lavishly covered homes while my house still lies in a reap, uh, heap of rubble? It's just, just stones and just rubble, just everything is collapsed. But you're okay with your house still being good. Uh, those of you who don't know, um, I used to work at a Korean uh, I guess Korean-American when I was back in the States, a Korean-American church. It was one of the largest churches in Chicago. And as I was a youth pastor there, it was really interesting because once a year we'll have this kind of like this garage sale. I don't know what you want to call it, a yard sale. Uh, I think they call it a rummage sale because you're rummaging through your house and whatever you don't need, you bring it over and you sell it, make money, and then give it towards mission. So that was one of the things that we did every single year. And it was so interesting because every single time that time came, Man, people will come with all these used stuff and bring it to the church. And then there are times when they'll be like, oh, or like, uh, youth pastor, uh, youth pastor. They'll say, youth pastor, uh, do you need a computer? Here's a computer, a laptop you can use. And I'm looking at this thing. They have like coffee stains, you know, things coming out of there, whatever. It's all dried up and it's old. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> thank you. You know, it's a gift. So you got to receive. You can throw it away later, but you got to at least receive, right? So, so I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I don't really need it, but, but thank you. And they're like, oh, and you, could, you just watch them die. I gave that to the youth pastor. <laughs> you, know, you know what 
started to hit me every single year, I realized when that time came, do you know why it was so popular in the church? Because it was their opportunity to throw things away for free. See, in the United States, you can't just throw things away. you got to give it to the Salvation Army. you got to dispose of it properly. But can you imagine the church will take anything? So I, I can't even begin to tell you some of the stuff that I saw. I'm like, did they get this from the garbage can? And then bring it back? And that's when I realized... These rummage sales, it's really their way of cleaning out their house and buying new stuff. Huh, I caught on to that. So in order to get to the parents, you got to get to the kids, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm one time I remember preaching the sermon. I'm just like, like some of you have families who gives the church second-hand stuff, bad stuff. You can see these kids like, yeah, that was my mom yesterday, you know. <laughs> And I'm like, why is it that we always give God the shoddy and the, the horrible things, the used things? Why we get all the nice things and the good things? This is the part I don't understand. Isn't that the same way? And oftentimes, like sometimes we're giving offering and then we're like looking at a wall like, oh shoot, I got to eat. So uh, yeah, I don't have, a, okay, today I'm just going to be worshiping with my lips. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it manifests in so many different ways. Oh, I have so much to do this weekend. And so, so we calculate. We justify. We make reasons. But everything is about us. All our time. All our treasures. All our talents. is about us. This is why God uses this prophet Haggai. To say, here you are, saying that you don't have time, but you surely have time to build your own house, but not the house of the Lord. Here you are, saying we don't have enough resources, but you surely do have resources, because you're padding your house with these panels that are luxurious. So what God is trying to say, I'd rather have you be honest and say, I don't love you, God. I don't want to worship you, God. I want to worship myself. It's all about me. Because they can't even see their own hearts. They thought they were religious. They thought they were doing good things. They thought they were being wise. They were more concerned about prosperity and comfort than the completion and also the completion of their homes rather than the significance of the temple of God, which is the heart of worship. It revealed more about their priorities and their attitudes than anything else. And we say this all the time. You always can tell what people value by what they do. And you know how they think by what they say. So you could be a good talker, but if you cannot back it up with action, then you don't value it no matter how religious you try to explain things to people. You could talk about generosity. But if you're constantly counting every little cent, oh, can you, oh yeah, you owe me uh, $23.87. Oh, uh, can I just give you 23 No, can, can you give me the 83 cents later? No, I'm not asking you to be irresponsible with your finances. 
I'm just simply saying that when you could show generosity in different ways. You can show the time with people. Even though you're busy, you're trying to manage it. I'm, I'm just going to see one less episode. I'm, I'm going to, I enjoy something that I want to do this week, but I'm going to sacrifice that because I think this person needs some encouragement in my life group. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, and the message says this. We justify our actions by appearances. God examines our motives. He looks at our hearts. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 2. It says this. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. How about us this morning? Have you been making excuses to hide your real motives? Have you been trying to justify why you don't want to do something? I'm wondering what are some things that God is convicting you of, that he shows you some inconsistency in your life. Are you able to see where your heart is at? Because you could do all this stuff, but what God is concerned about is your heart and my heart. I'm going to pause here and help us to kind of process some of the stuff that I mentioned. And we're going to get into huddle groups. And here, here are the two questions I want you to think about. The first question is this. Why do you think it's so hard for a person to catch themselves when they are trying to make excuses or to justify something that is not right? So maybe talk a little bit about that. Once again, sometimes you don't have to necessarily talk about yourself if you don't feel comfortable because maybe there's other people that you do know and you've experienced. You don't have to mention names. Please don't mention names, but just maybe something you've experienced. But if I could challenge you, part of processing it is asking, how do I respond? What is it the thing that God is trying to speak to me about? And then share from that. And the second question is this. What do you think can help to check our hearts on a regular basis? What will help us to always keep our hearts in check before God? Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share. And uh, we're just going to close out with the second point. As you know, we, we've been talking about just how important it is to seek after the heart of God so that we can do our part for God. We can't get that mixed up. We got to we got to seek his heart first, and as we know his heart, then we know the part that we have to play. And that's why we've also talked about we have to check our hearts, our motives. The second thing that I want us to think about is this, that we must consider our ways. So as we check our hearts, we have to consider our ways. Let me go ahead and read verses 5 through 11 as we close out this portion of Scripture. And it's interesting because as the message is going forth through the prophet Haggai, now he speaks more specifically to the people. And I want you to read it with a fresh lens or new eyes. It's, look at it from the heart of God. We've been talking about this this past weekend, the Father's heart. And when you read it just as a, like a taskmaster, it, it, it can kind of throw you off. But think about it in the heart of God and why explain it. And that's why I'm going to try to help us to understand this idea of why we must consider our ways. So starting from verse 5, listen to what it says. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. 
that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it became too little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you uh, busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now, it's interesting that in verse 5 and 7, as we just read, God is using this phrase, consider your ways. Consider your ways. The word consider is translated as set your heart. So if you want to translate this, it will be set your hearts on what? Your ways. Now, you can look at it very selfishly and say, oh, then whatever I want in my heart, then I'm going to set myself on that. No. When it says set your heart, it's considering, thinking about, pondering what it is that God desires. And so that our ways can be lined up with God's heart. That's why this idea of pondering earnestly or to carefully think through what we are going to do. The different translations bring that out for us to understand it in this original language. Listen to what it says. We see this, consider your ways in verse 5 and 7. Here's some translations that help us to understand. It says this, think very carefully about your choices. The Amplified Version says this, But now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. I like that. Thoughtfully reflect. Some of us, we don't have the time or we don't make the time to reflect. That's why some of you make the same mistakes over and over again. This is the reason why some of you are not able to check your hearts because you don't reflect. You just go through life. Just doing whatever you want to do. There's no stop sign. There's no speed bump to slow you down to say, okay, let, let me think about this. Oh, last year I went through the same thing. Now I'm making the same choice that I made last year. That relationship that I had when I broke up and my heart was broken. Oh, I'm entering into it. Well, it's the same thing. Oh, when I decided to make a choice, a decision on something, it was all about, oh, oh it's the same thing. We forget the lessons that God taught us in the previous year or maybe this past month. And we keep on repeating over and over again because we do not thoughtfully reflect or consider our ways. Listen to what it says in the message translation. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. Some of us don't want to look deep and hard into our lives because we're afraid of what's in there. Or we're afraid that God might say no. Or we're afraid that God might say yes. Or some of us, I hate waiting. We don't want God to say wait. That's why we get impatient. We take things into our own control. Sometimes we get very insecure when we think about that. So that's why we take things into our own hands. And the NIV says this, give careful thought. Careful thought to your ways. Do you do that with the decisions you have to make, 
remember what we talked about this weekend. Not every single opportunity or, or given opportunity is the will of God. Sometimes I'm just wondering if Satan just says, huh, I'm going to open this door for him. Let's see if he'll go through. And he opens this door and goes, wow, look at this luxurious paneled houses. Do all this stuff. Come on in. Or he'll be like, come on in. <laughs> You're like, oh. Not every single open door is what God really wants us to do. We see that all throughout Scripture, even for Paul, as he was doing missions. Consider your ways. Learn. I realize something. Some of us, I don't know what it is. We just want so many things keeping up in our lives. Some of you, we all have different capacities. Some of your capacity, you cannot do everything. You have a bandwidth that's maybe this much. It doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're a weak Christian, immature. No, this is your bandwidth, at least for now, unless God stretches you. And so here's your bandwidth, and you're trying to shove all this stuff through this, and no wonder you're not faithful to everything that you think that God wants you to do. Because there are some things in here that God doesn't want you to do. Check your heart and consider your ways. That's why we have to seek after God's heart so that we can then begin to do our part. What God wanted them to do was just spend a little time reflecting. Look at your lives. Look at your homes. Look, and look out there. Look at that rubble. Look at what's happening. That's why if you look to verses 6 through 11, listen to me carefully. This is good stuff. As I was reading it, I'm like, holy cow, this is, this is like the wrath of God coming down on the people. Like, you will notice that God was describing things that, that just happened to them, that, that was happening to them. They were sowing in all the stuff, hard work, and then they were harvesting little. There's no fruits. They were eating and drinking and never had enough. They were never satisfied, so they want more. Do you know people like that? They get this job, and they're so happy. Oh, I hate this job. And they're looking for other jobs. When about three months ago, they had no job. They're like, I'll take anything. They clothe themselves, but they're not warm. They earn wages, but it seems like they're putting into this bag with little holes. Can you imagine? You get some money, like, wow, I'm making a lot of money, but it's going right out. Some of you feel like that. Like, where did all my money go? See, the thing that's important for you to understand is Jewish people, they equated God's blessings with God's favor in their relation with God. Man, thanks be to God that because of Jesus, we don't have to look at it that way. Amen? But that's how the Jewish people thought. Whenever there's blessings that, oh, God loves us, God is favorable towards us. As believers, because of Jesus, that we have everything in him, that we should not look at it that way. But I want you to look at it from the Father's heart as we talked about this weekend. Then why is it that at times God is like, almost seems like as if he is closing doors or pushing against us? further and further back I'm, I'm just be careful because i don't want to fall down but, but it seems like he's constantly pushing us back and we're trying to move forward but then it's like pushing us back why because if you know the father's heart because god will not control you he will not force you to do anything what he is doing is what we call gentle pressure 
loving pressure, just a little bit, just to kind of press upon you to say that is not the wisest thing. It is God literally almost frustrating you to what? Get your attention. Can I get a good amen to that? This is one thing that I want to really encourage all of us, and I'm still learning this over and over again. Whenever you get frustrated, whenever you think that something is out of your control, it is possibly God's way of trying to get your attention. When you don't have any control over things, we tend to look inward. Rather, God is saying, look to me. You start worshiping all the things of this world, thinking that this is going to satisfy, this is going to help me. When God is saying, and he closes these doors to help you to say, look at me. Worship me. He's applying gentle and loving pressure as a loving father to direct you. That's why he disciplines us. The Bible talks about that. He disciplines those that he loves. And because he is loving towards us, he's disciplining us. Some of you right now are going through that. You're doing all this work and no results. Why? Because your whole life has always been about results. Not about the Father, not about the relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about results. So you have gotten proud. You have learned how to trust in yourself. And God in his loving way is gently pressing down to say it is not about the results. So you're not seeing results. And it's good for you. It's good for me. Maybe a year ago there was a lot of results. But you got proud. Some of you base your whole identity on the things that you do. That's why maybe he's stripping away some of these things. So that you can say, my identity is in Christ and not in some of these things. Some of you are so insecure, you always need a relationship to make you whole. And God is saying, look to me. Be secure in me first. Seek after me first. Because what's happening, what's going to happen is that if you seek it in other people, then they will devastate you. When they don't call you, they don't contact you, they blue tick you, all this, they're like, oh my God. No wonder your relationship with Christ is struggling right now. Because you have replaced Jesus with that person. So this is God the Father gently, lovingly frustrating you, putting this gentle pressure to wake you up. And he goes, here you are. You're taking money and you're putting it in these bags, and it's gonna, but nothing. Here you are. You're sowing and you're sweating. You're doing hard work, but no harvest. You're drinking. You're eating, thinking that it's going to fill you up, but you are still not satisfied. Those are all signs of God trying to get your attention. You get that grade, you feel good for a little bit, but you need to keep on going. You get that job, and you're moving up the corporate ladder, you feel good for a little bit, but then you're going to keep on wanting to move more. You will never be satisfied unless your satisfaction comes in Christ and Christ alone. This is what he's saying. This is the word of God. And so here is God, as he says, you try to be fruitful, you try to do all this stuff on your own, but I'm the one who's going to do it. That's why he keeps on saying, worship me, seek after me. 
and then I will show you. That's why, listen to me, this is good. As I was reading this, I'm like, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. If you look at this passage, I want you to see in verse 8, it says that I may be what? Glorified. Okay, check out this verse. In verse 8, it says that I may be glorified. It is important to note that because it's also translated that I may be honored. So what God is trying to get at is our hearts as we consider our ways so that ultimately we can glorify God and we can honor him. Isn't that what he talks about when he talks about the kingdom of God seeking first? Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Once again, I love the Amplified version. It says this. Read the yellow section, highlighted section with me. It says this. But first and foremost, or but first and most importantly, seek, which means aim at, strive for, his kingdom and his righteousness his ways of doing and being right. The attitude and the character of God and all these things will be given to you also. Listen to the Passion Translation. It says this. So above all, constantly what? Chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceed from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. What a great promise for us. Chase after him. Pursue God. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto us. That's why everything about building God's house and doing all things for him to honor him and to worship him is really about coming before him and saying, God, my whole life is yours. Can you imagine the Israelite people? God just delivered them from slavery, from the Babylonians. Allow them to come back to the land that was promised unto them from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the way down. They brought, God brought them back by his grace. And instead of in gratitude and response to God, say, God, here's my whole life. Here's all of our lives. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to come back to the heart of worship. We don't have time. Uh, yeah, we don't have the resources. And God is saying, check your heart and consider your ways. No wonder Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in the Amplified Version, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. The New Living Translation says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God. Come on, say this with me. Because all he has done for you. Man, say it one more time. That's good. Because of all he has done for you. It's not because you want something for him to do for you. That's why you're going to do this. Because he's already done all these things for you. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. And say this last phrase, this is what? Truly the way to worship him. That's what he wants. How about us this morning? Are you considering your ways? Do you have people to help you consider your ways? I'm wondering if you're blaming God for the things that are not happening in your life right now. Maybe he's trying to get your attention more than anything else. Why do you do what you do? Is it for Jesus and for his kingdom? Or is it for ourselves? And I think the beauty of the story in chapter 1 in the first 11 verses, 
This to me is the gospel. Why? Because when you think about each one of us, I, I think about my own life, it is our natural tendency to do everything for ourselves. That is in our sinful nature. That is in our rebellious attitude. We want everything for ourselves. We want to be God. And so that is what has separated us from God. It has broken the fellowship with God. We no longer have this communion with God. That's why we avoid God. You know when you get into a fight with someone, you don't want to talk to them, you don't want to be crossing paths. That's what you're doing with God. There's sinfulness, things in your heart that now you don't want to face God. You don't want to do anything with God. But instead of banishing you away, what did God do in His loving Heavenly Father type of ways? He gave you the best gift, which is Jesus Christ, His Son, the best gift ever, who lived a life that you and I could not live and died the death that we should have died. But He did it for us. So now if we humble ourselves as we consider our ways and as we check our hearts because there's nothing good in there because we're like a million piece puzzle and so confused, so lost. But in His grace, in His mercy, He has given us all things. That's why for all that you have done, Lord, the gospel response always is, here's my life as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you for this is my rightful intelligent logical act of worship it's just the right thing to do to worship god therefore the one thing once again is that we must seek the heart of god in order to do our part for god i'm gonna invite us to do several things this week we're gonna talk about this in life group but I want to just encourage us now to at least think about it. Some of you are meeting with your LCG. This is a great time to kind of talk through this. The first thing is this. Focus on having a worshipful heart. Make it about Jesus. Will you do that? I know it is so tempting to make it about everything else but him. But focus on having this worshipful heart. He has done so much for In view of his mercy, now I want to offer my life to him. Worship him. Find different ways. Even when you're listening to music, if it's worship music, it will help change sometimes your feelings, your emotions, your attitude. Sometimes it might just be when you're in the shower, go sing. No, it's okay. They might think that you're playing the radio or something or something's dying in there. It doesn't matter. Just sing. That's, that's, your, that's, your, that's your worship center right there. Just sing. When they start knocking and saying, is everything okay? Then you might want to just kind of tone it down a little bit. But just... Focus on this worshipful heart. I want to worship Jesus. Find different ways. You don't have to always sing. You, you can do so many. You can write. You could just serve. You could do it. Just make sure it's a worship to God. The second thing is this. Face your issues. Don't run away from it. The reason why God is allowing some of these things to happen in your life, it doesn't mean he caused it, but he's allowing things to happen in your life. It's because he's trying to get your attention. Maybe you've never addressed this insecurity issue that God's been trying to address. He sent people your way, but you keep on rejecting them, pushing them away, these mentors, these disciples. And he goes, enough. You know why? You know why he's so loving? Because he sees you 10 years down the line. He sees you 20 years down the line. He actually sees time all at once, and he's seeing you with a family, with kids, and he realizes how it's going to affect you. That's why he wants you to address it now. So be thankful when things be, are brought up or you're caught in the midst of it because that's God just lovingly, gently trying to get your attention. 
So face your issues. Don't run away from it. Face it. If some of you get anxious at times, God's trying to speak to you about something. If some of you are struggling with just control, if some of you struggle with dependence on him or even finances, all these, those are just signs of God trying to get your attention. Face your issue. The third thing is this. Find people to challenge you. Man, I'm telling you right now, they are not a friend, a real friend, unless they challenge you. Don't ever forget that. I've yet to this day, over 50 years of just being in different relationships with people around me, I would say all the best friends that I have, the closest friends, are the ones who have challenged me. I have a lot of acquaintances. I know a lot of people, but they're not my friends, or they are not friends. The ones that I call truly friends are the ones who confront me. I'm, I'm, it might seem almost sadistic, like, oh, I love when people confront me. But think about it for a moment. Who in the world will love you enough to tell you something that knowing that it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt yourself? It's going to be like, oh, you might, might even strain the relationship because they might not take it well. But when you consider your ways, you realize, wow, no one else told me this. Because possibly there's no one in your life who loved you. So I want to challenge you. To be able to find people who will challenge you. Challenge also means to encourage. But to kind of put that fire underneath you and say, come on, man. Let's do this together. We can do this. Because this is the right thing. And lastly, finish what, you, what God is calling you to do. Finish it. And finish it well. Not on your own strength, but finish it. That means, let's finish off this year's life good well. Amen? finish it. Don't be tailing off. Finish it well. If you're going to serve, finish your term. Finish it well. Because when you learn how to finish things, it's a reflection of when Jesus, what did he say? He says it's finished. It's completed. That's why if we feel good about it in the sense where we are reflecting the heart of God. He called us to do something. We have done it. We've obeyed. So I pray that you will do that. Can I ask us just to bow our heads for a moment as we close out here? If all of us can stand, if you're, if you're in your uh, home, wherever you are, uh, like I said, sometimes it's easy just to sit there, but a different posture kind of helps us even in our mindset. So if you could just stand right where you are. And I'm going to ask us before we just sing the song and close out, can we just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us? I'm excited to preach this book because I realize as I'm preparing God is speaking to me about my life things that I need to get in order and I just realized that when God speaks to me then I could preach with more passion and just really with the things that God has given to me and I just feel like this past year a lot of things happened and a lot of things didn't happen and it really made me pause and say God what is it that you're trying to do what are you trying to say to us? And as I was thinking about the calling, why we came to Hong Kong, when I think about just the billions of people just within the circle that we talk about a lot, even just when I'm in Hong Kong just commuting, when I see so many people, these young people, well, they look younger now because I'm getting older, but when I look at this younger generation, 
man, we need some of you who are younger to reach out to them. I'm going to still do it. I don't know. After a while, they're like, you're too old, Pastor. But when I think about this younger generation, it's, they have gone through a lot in the last five-some years. That's why they don't feel this hope. This is the reason why they just feel like any authority is against them. I mean, they have these views. And those of you who are at this conference, you know what I'm talking about. Just when I was watching some of us just being hugged by the snow groves and they were speaking some words of life into you. I just felt something in my spirit like God is saying, I'm well pleased. Like something is happening in this place. That the Spirit of God was just like ministering. Even last night when he was praying for, when we were praying for some of you and you felt under the power of the Holy Spirit, some of you started busting out into new language and some of you didn't even know what was happening. All I can say to you is that God is doing everything possible to not only get our attention but to empower us so we can do the things that he is calling us to do. And that's why I'm excited to go over this book. Because even though it's a message for thousands, millennia down the line, before us, but the principles are the same that is applying to us. So many distractions, so many excuses, so many justification of things. And God is saying, I don't care about any of that. I want your heart. I want your heart. Check your heart. Get it in line with my heart. And then from there, consider your ways. Take the time to reflect to provoke this deep earnest thinking that where is my life headed why am i choosing this and not this is it about me is it about the kingdom let's seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and the bible says all these things will be added unto us man i can't wait to hear testimonies of people being able to say i put god first and god provided everything that i needed Let's get back to the heart of worship. Can we do that? That heart of worship. So we're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you for this coming week. So let's sing together as we worship. Lord Jesus, what more can we say? You are the perfect example of a heart that has worshipped you. Worship God the Father. Thank you for setting the path before us a life of obedience as you consider the suffering and the shame you pondered upon you thought through it you even prayed in Gethsemane asking for the cup to be taken away but you obey the Father so that you can give us life no Lord now in view of all those mercies we want to be able to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice so God we pray that you will check our hearts Help us to consider our ways. And as we seek after your heart, we're going to know what it is to do our part for you. Lord, we want to build up your church. We want to strengthen your church. We want to see many more people coming to know you, Lord. We want to make an impact and a difference in our campuses, in our workplaces, in our families, here in this city, Lord. We think about all the ruin that we see, everything lying in rubble. Help us not to live on our paneled houses, being so comfortable and prosperous, uh, prosperous for ourselves. But Lord, we want to be able to, Lord, see beyond ourselves and see the things of your heart. Lord, the things that break your heart may break our hearts, Lord. And as we follow after you, Lord, 
I just pray that you will use us. Lord, so I pray for a double portion of your blessings this coming week. Thank you for this weekend and all that you have done, Lord. And we're praying some of those seeds that were deposited into our lives will start germinating and growing, flourishing, so that, Lord, we will see that it was truly you, your work in our lives. So thank you so much for this reminder today. Bless the rest of the series as we hear from your heart so that we can live for your glory and for your honor. We thank you, Lord God. We love you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.